Ron and Anian. I was reading the Saturday paper today and looking at the used car ads. Now, as a kid growing up, I remember the used car ads on Saturday and Sunday the weekend. Two pages. The Car Doctor. 112,000 miles. Needs an alternator, brakes, and a muffler. 600 bucks. Now, my question is, if it needs brakes, and it needs a muffler, and it needs an alternator, how are you going to road test it? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. And if they don't, stick around for the next hour. I'm Ron Anian, The Car Doctor at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. This radio show is live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And we are here each and every Saturday. And if you're getting this on a podcast or a stream or an affiliate that takes it on delay or somewhere in the, your part of the universe and uh, you want to call in, you call 855-560-9900. Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m., whether or not you can hear it. And you'll get to hear us, and we'll get to hear you, and we can talk about your car and its problem. More information at cardoctorshow.com. You're also at TuneIn, iHeart, iTunes, all podcasting places. If you need me during the week, it's ron at cardoctorshow.com. And without any further ado, let's kick the garage doors open because we have a full rack waiting to go. Let's start fixing some cars. Let's go over and talk to Mike in Florida, 2000 Buick LeSabre, and a power window problem. Mike, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Uh, last week, I was driving, and I tried to put the window down, and it wouldn't go down. And all four windows would not go down. Okay. Uh, and the lockout button was not activated. Uh, in other words, it had no power. Whether you, when you push the button, uh, whether it was up or down, the little light was not lit. But when you shut the engine off, the windows would work. Okay. So what it, what it's telling me is that we've probably got a bad ground or a corro- corrosion somewhere in a connector, which is not uncommon with these. And let me let me preface that by saying, Mike, that you know, whenever I'm looking at a power window, power door lock, something driver door related, I always have it in the back of my mind about broken wires inside the door harness. You know that uh-huh. that, that rubber boot that comes out because I don't care what it is, Ford, GM, Chrysler, Honda, it doesn't matter. They all break wires. It seems like in 110 years of the internal combustion engine and automobiles, they haven't come out with a better way to put wires through a door yet, which, you know, maybe that'll be when I go into retirement, I'll figure something out. But, you know, just just suffice it to say, don't rule that out. But in your particular case, because this is a 2000 LeSabre, what was common back in the day, again, it's 18 years old now, what was common back in the day is there's a ground at the left-hand kick panel. So down under, if you pull the kick panel down, you'll see a ground that'll be ground 202. They, okay. were, they were known to corrode and get loose, and there's a connector under the left front sill plate, connector 340, which feeds power up through the circuits for the door locks and the windows. And, okay. you know, did I tell you it's under the left front sill plate where all the moisture and water and, <laughs> you know, that's where I design it and put it. Um, you know, so, you know, not an uncommon failure, not an uncommon fault. Obviously, you know, I'd like you to get a wiring diagram and start poking around looking for voltage here and there and where it's supposed to be and where it's not. But if you're looking for a couple of quickies, and that's all I got time for this hour, because believe me, I got a full rack, 
I'd start there, ground 202 and connector 340, and um, just you know know that 340 is very well known to co- corrode and fail over time. And as these cars are getting older, we're seeing more of it. Okay, thank you, Ron. You're very welcome, sir. Good luck to you, and let me know if I can do anything else for you. Yes, sir. All, All right. right. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Let's get over to Mark in West Michigan and uh, some questions about a used vehicle. Mark, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Uh, just uh, need some advice from considering a uh, used Ford pickup, probably 2014 and newer. Okay. Uh, I do most. I would be doing most of my driving uh, just short trips uh, and, and much less so on the highway. Uh, the most I would be hauling or towing, rather, with this truck would be a uh, used uh, a pickup uh Excuse me, a travel trailer uh, that's less than three thousand pounds. Right. I'm looking at uh, uh, either the 5.0 V8 or the 3.5 EcoBoost or the 2.7 EcoBoost, and I wondered which you would recommend. Um, I'm kind of looking for a compromise between mile, uh, miles per gallon and durability. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, Mark. What's the what's the MPG between the 3.5 and the 5.0? It, it's not much. It's maybe one on both sides of, right. the, of right. the equation there. So that, there's my answer. Get the 5.0. And I'll tell you why. I'll defend, I'll defend the statement. All right? You're towing with it. It's a truck. If you do take it on long trips, and I mean the 3.5 is a peppy engine. And the the, the 2.7's no slouch either. I mean, all of these are great. But, you know, I'm an old cubic inch man, all right? There's no substitute for cubic inches. And, you know, my experience with pickup trucks has been the bigger the engine, the heavier duty the cooling system, the heavier duty the trans lines, the heavier duty the charging system. Everything is just a little bit more, all right? It's, it's, it's just a different vehicle. And there's nothing like, a you know, a V8 for a little bit of power and when you want to step out onto the highway and passing gear and now you're going to add a trailer to it and you know as good as the EcoBoost engines are and I'm not saying they're bad if I've got a choice for a V8 and the fuel economy is that close I'm going to go for the bigger engine I just am it's just you know it's just probably who I am and I don't think there's anything okay. wrong with that so okay uh, all right sir hey i appreciate appreciate your advice you're very welcome sir you take good care you're very welcome bye-bye let's uh let's go get over and let's go talk to mike out in long island with a 14 subaru outback and some problems with uh gee a subaru whoop-de-doo yes sir yes mike how can i help you mike mike mark and mike look at this look at this opening this hour so um anyway mike how can i help you sir running any in the car doctor at your service mike mike going once Maybe we caught Mike by surprise. I'm moving too fast. I can go to an email. Let me go do a quick piece of email. I've been trying to get this one done for the past three weeks. All right? This works. Hey, Ron, my name is Mark. I'm working on a 2002 Cadillac DeVille. I've, I've been on this car. I've owned this car since 2003. It was 29,000 miles. I've had a problem with the airbag light coming on when it was cold. The dealership replaced the front sensor on warranty many years ago. Well, the problem has gotten worse now. The airbag light stays on. I've scanned it with a Tech 2 scanner. It says the front impact sensor is the problem. The other issue that I've noticed with using the scanner is that it's recording the driver's seatbelt has been buckled, even though it's not. So is it possible that something in the seat is causing this issue in the scanner? Is it showing a false alarm about the front impact sensor? Because I rephrase it, I replaced the front impact sensor twice with a Dorman product, and the same problem won't eliminate the light. And I was also curious about what the front impact sensor, if they ground 
when you screw in the bolt of the solid ground, it's just the two wires going in and out of it that completes the circuit. Thanks again. My name is Mark. Um, Mark, listen, airbag stuff is all about resistance value and completed circuits. So just because it's setting a fault code for a, a, a front sensor doesn't automatically mean it's the sensor. All right. What we want to know is, do we have continuity going back to the to the to the module? In this case, the airbag module. All right. You should be able to using the Tech Two scanner. All right, to prove continuity in the circuit to maybe get a better understanding of this. Is if I'm not mistaken, there's going to be a left side and a right side airbag sensor, and possibly rear. With the scan tool hooked up, look at your sensors. Okay. Um, you're saying, I believe you're saying that it's recording that the sensor, well, actually, you don't say that. It says the front impact sensor is the problem. How does it say it's the problem? Is it showing continuity? Is it showing a complete circuit? And my point is this. Turn the key off. Unplug one of the other front airbag sensors. Look at this. Turn the key on. Look at the state of change on the scan tool. What does it show? You know the circuit's open. You've got it unplugged. If you unplug it and it doesn't show, then maybe you've got a scan tool problem like you're thinking. If it responds correctly, then you know the scan tool's functioning right, and the module is able to interpret it on that circuit. Now we've got to talk about the other. Find where the wires for that sensor come into the circuit and disconnect those two wires. And, you know, I've been known to pop them out of terminals or just unplug them from the harness or find a connector somewhere up the line, and disconnect them at the sensor itself and ohm that line. What does it ohm? How does it read? All right, if you want a comparison, you can compare it to the airbag terminal or the airbag sensor on the other leg that you just unplugged. All right, the point is, and my point is, it's all about resistance value with airbags. That's how it knows. This could be seeing or reporting a bad air impact sensor, airbag impact sensor, because of corrosion on a terminal and the resistance value is different. And even though the circuit's got continuity and even though the sensor is good, it still sees it as bad. So first thing we've got to do is verify wiring, verify components. But in your case, I want you to verify how the scan tool is reading it so you understand it better. Once you get past that, then we can go and attack the driver's side seatbelt buckle because maybe you're going to solve, you solve the one problem, you're going to solve the other. I've got a feeling there's a connection there. And I'm thinking it's in wiring. So let's learn how the circuit works a little bit. And if you need more, 855-560-9900, please give me a call. I'm Ron Anany, The Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron Anany, The Car Doctor, rolling along and doing it to it here as we uh, get past and get through this next hour of Car Doctor Radio at 855-560-9900. Let's go back to Mike in Long Island, 14 Subaru Outback. Mike, you're there this time, sir. Hey, Ron. How are you? Good, sir. How are you? Little Good, thank you. A little technical glitch there, but uh, that happens both in the world of cars and radio. So um, how, can sure. I, how can I help you today? What's going on? Okay. Uh, I got two questions. If I could ask first, uh, on a, I have a 2014 Subaru Outback. Okay. Got 34,000 miles. The engine was just replaced under warranty at 32,000 miles okay. due to an oil consumption issue. Right. Um, everything seems fine. But what they did was they got a new short block and they switched over all my my intake, my head, right. all okay. that. Okay, sure. So so I'm just 
want to think, you know, how do you know how do I manage the next few thousand miles and you know a few months to make sure all is right? Well, let me ask let me ask you a couple of questions first, Mike, if I can. What sure. um what what are you doing for an oil change interval? Seventy five hundred. Okay. Um, you know, synthetic uh, recommend zero W twenty or something like that. Right. And um, um, the it was diagnosed because I was adding between changes. So I think you know, you know I got the car with ten thousand miles CPO, and um. I think at like 16,000 miles, the light came on. So I changed it then. And then I kind of noticed, you know, that between each change, I was like kind of adding a quart around, you know, 4,000 miles. Okay. Can I tell you a story about the Toyota this week? Sure. I had a Toyota yesterday, as a matter of fact, that had a um, intermittent dead. Well, we think it's an intermittent dead battery. Stan called up. I put a battery in the car back in November and it was fine. And he, like a week ago, the battery was acting flaky, and he's not really sure. And is it the power door switch button thingy on the dashboard lighting up? And is it a drain? Is it the battery? Got to me. Everything was fine. Didn't see a thing. Everything looked normal. So, you know, load tested the battery. The battery passed the load test. But you know what? You got to make the customer happy. And sometimes you got to throw caution to the wind. You got to solve the problem. Put a battery mm-hmm. in the car. All right? Because, you know, intermittents happen. Things go wrong. You want to put the shadow of doubt out of your mind. All right. That being said, and you know, you make the customer happy, give them back the car with a with a, a battery, and you say, "Listen, put a battery in it. If it happens again, it's not the battery." Mm-hmm. All right. For the price of the battery, I prove to the customer whether it's the battery or whether it's the car. You got me. Yes. Can I twist your arm to change your oil at five thousand miles? That wouldn't be a problem. Okay. And and here's why. Do your oil changes at five. You know, make sure it's synthetic. Make sure it's it's good quality oil. Make sure it's a good filter. And, you know, I would tell you every five to six months, every 5,000 miles, because I want to put the shadow of doubt out of your mind. Because if mm-hmm. this problem happens again, nobody can sit there and say, well, we let, went too long on the oil change. I think 7,500 is a little long anyway, in my opinion. All right, and I, I hear Subarus do have oil consumption issues. You're not the first guy to tell me this, but I, I don't want to condemn the whole car line. I just think they're going a little long. So I, I would tell you, you know, if, if the question is now, how do you take care of this new thirty-two thousand mile engine car that you have? I would tell you, start changing the oil every five. Let's see where it goes. And I would do. Oh, that's it, a good I, idea. I, I, w- I would do it for a couple of changes. You know, I would use 020 because that's what they call for, because actually using a heavier viscosity actually creates problems. Mm-hmm. We're, we're seeing issues with a heavier viscosity oil in a non-rated engine will actually cause problems with the oil rings. The oil rings today are very low tension, as well as sometimes the second ring or the, the middle compression ring will cause problems because it can't handle that viscosity. And instead of being able to control the oil and scrape it, it'll actually allow it to pass up into the combustion chamber and, and burn and, and get consumed. So, you know, correct viscosity is the way to go. Yeah. Uh, you, know. you know, it was interesting with this problem. You know, it never ran poorly. It never smoked. You know, I just told them, you know, that I was adding oil, and they had me, they, they, you know, they, they did the 30,000-mile change, asked me to bring it back a 1,000 miles later, and, you know, they didn't even put up a fight. They're like, all right, we're going to replace the engine. Right. Uh, and- but, you know, the, the recommended interval was 75, but what, what you're saying about, five makes sense yeah i'm just uh you know i 
you know, I'll, I'll go through the fleet again. I got a 20-year-old Ford Ranger with 210,000 miles on it. I got an 05 Malibu with 160,000 miles on it. I've got a 04 Suburban with 60,000 miles on it. I'm ashamed of that one. I don't drive it enough. <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've, I've had daughters with 20-year-old Jeeps with 200,000 miles apiece on them and, you know, regular oil changes. And you know, Yeah, yeah, because my other car is actually a Toyota Sienna, and that's got a buck thirty on it. Right. And, and I've been doing synthetic every 5,000 right. for quite a while on that. You know, and, and, and that's an interesting point, right? And I guess, you know, we could talk about that. I've never really brought that up on air in, in all this time, but how is it one manufacturer says their oil goes 7,000 miles, and this one says 5,000 miles, and this one says 10,000 miles, and... It's all coming out of the same hole in the ground, so to speak. Like what? What, yeah. what makes it so different? And yeah, I get it. Com- shape of the combustion chamber, design of the car, and whose system is more efficient than the other guys, and all that nonsense. But you know what? I think it's whoever's got the bigger marketing department and the better, better copywriter to, to 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 market. Hey, you never have to do anything to this car until it stops. You know, it's um. There's a George Carlin skit in there somewhere, I think. But uh, you know, that's that's the reality of it. Um, other than that. I think I would just stay on top of oil changes. I would be mindful. I would ask them when they changed the coolant. You know, when they did the engine, did they put fresh coolant in? Did they drain the old out? They did. Uh, they they So they put all new fresh in, or did they mix it? And the only reason I'm asking is just to have a baseline on when to replace yeah. coolant. So and but, I would take a look at the, uh, the, the receipt they gave me. It was all under warranty. Right. But um, they definitely had, I think... Four gallons of coolant on there, maybe? Four quarts, probably. Four okay. gallons would be excessive. Okay. And, and and keep in mind, all right, you know, Subaru is one of those companies, they have a coolant phobia, all right? Subaru, the last bulletin I saw, they don't want you to do a coolant exchange because in, in the aftermarket world where I live, they don't want us to do a coolant exchange to a Subaru or for you to have it done by us because their fear is if we are using a machine and we're not – diligent about the kind of coolant that was in there prior, we could contaminate the system and, you know, yada, 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 some small percentage level. Gotcha. Um, you know what? I have a real hard time buying if, if, if my machine is 1% impure, that 1% is going to contaminate the other 99% to cause the engine to fail. I think the engine's too fragile then. You've got something that uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. My point is just stay on top of the coolant. Other than that, you know, you're coming out of warranty. Is Subaru going to be the guys that work on it, or are you going to find a regular mechanic outside in the, the independent world? But somebody's got to become the cook in the kitchen and just keep an eye on it, and hopefully you get 200,000 miles out of the car. Mike, I appreciate the call. i got to go. The clock's going to take me. Thanks for being a listener. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. I'm back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and the Car Doctor at the 24-7 number, 855-560-9900. Give us a call. If we're not here, leave a message, and Tom Ray will call you back and uh, get you in the queue for the next week's live broadcast Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time out on the network. Right now, let's get back to the busy phones. Let's go over to Sylvan up there in southern Vermont, 08 Toyota Tundra, and some uh, questions about a uh, Toyota lawsuit. Sylvan, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help? Yeah, I was calling, uh, like you said, I've got a 2008 Toyota Tundra, and I recently got a notice in the mail about a class action lawsuit about um, insufficient coding on the frame right. in that particular year and model. Yep. Yep. And um, from what I remember, I don't have the card in front of me, um, didn't um, remember to bring it. But anyway, 
what I remember, there were like three different options. You could pursue something on your own at your own expense. You could decline being part of the lawsuit or be part of it by not doing anything, basically. And then there would be a hearing in, I believe it was towards the end of March or in April sometime, and then there would be a ruling on it. And so then following that, then you would be told basically what happened with the with the lawsuit. And you could either, you know, go in and get any kind of change that they said that they needed to do. I don't really know like right. what the... the Listen, here's here's you know, the, what here, here's the deal, babe. And I'm no I'm no lawyer, all right. But okay. the, the way the way the way I would approach this is because I reached out to my guys at Toyota to talk to them about this because it's it's well known the tundras of various years and and um, uh, you know models designations they've got frame rust issues. They all seem to go through this, yep. and it's not it's not like we're uh, reinventing the wheel. Believe me, this is compared to the Volkswagen scandal, this is nothing. So, you know, they're aware of it. You know, are, are you going to win any money? I don't know. Does it hurt to be part of it? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think it. I don't yeah. think it'll matter. Um, you know, I think I'd probably be part of it myself personally, on a personal basis, just to see what happens. Listen, maybe you'll get. You know, if you get three hundred fifty-eight dollars or whatever the whatever the oddball number is. You know, you can um, you know, you can you can take your family out for dinner, you can buy a gallon of gas in the future, you can you know, whatever it is, it's 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 not gonna hurt. The bigger issue is and the thing I would pay the most attention to is is the truck going to be put into the classification where the frame is a problem? That's more my question than anything, right. and how to find that out without you know, losing money or time right. out of the vehicle or right. anything like that. You know, if 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 this law if this law firm is saying, "Hey, give us a hundred bucks, and we'll make you part of the lawsuit," I tell them to pound salt. All right. Right. But you know, if this is more about finding out about the frame, right now, my sources at Toyota tell me that that vehicle is not under the recall, and it's it's not okay. it's not uh, you know what they deem a a ruster, uh, you know that's that's going to rust out. I don't know what the future holds. They don't know what the yeah. future holds. Uh, you know, a lot of this yep. has to do with, you know, how Toyota corporate, you know, determines. Because the problem was, for everybody just tuning in maybe, is that they had issues where the frames were manufactured and how the metal was treated and then where they were used, if they were used in salt belt states, typically the northern U.S., upper Minnesota, you know, Oregon, that part of the country, a lot of snow, a lot of salt, a lot of, you know, uh, salt uh, containment, brine, that kind of stuff. It rots the frames. So, you know, now to their credit, to their credit, uh, you know, my guys in the dealership tell me they've got a stack of 20 frames outside the door every week because they're changing frames like they're no tomorrow. Do you know what it is to change the frame on a truck? Uh, you know, it's 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 not like changing a flat. It's a lot of work. And Toyota, yeah. Toyota to their credit, is is doing the right thing, and they are changing out all these frames. You know, the, the bigger issue is, is yours going to be considered part of it? I don't know that answer. And if it isn't, does that mean that it will rust anyway? Because just because they say it doesn't, doesn't mean it won't. And, yeah. you know, the best answer I've got is time will tell. Who changes the oil on this truck right now, Sylvan? Um, I usually change between the um, dealer and then uh, every now and again I've gone to, like, a Valvoline okay. lube type of place. You need, you need a relationship. But mostly it's been the dealer. Okay. You need a relationship with somebody. All right. I mean, yeah. I, I say this all the time. But you need to, you know what, you need to bring the service writer or the mechanic or whoever's going to change this a cup of coffee next time. 
have a quick conversation. Hey, here's my vehicle. Here's my concern. You know, I'd I'd like to, and if it's the dealer, I'd ask for, a, and this is perfect, I'd ask for a formal inspection of the frame for any rust. Yeah. Because if you, listen. Yeah, that's not a bad, it's not bad timing either because I, I moved from Colorado to Vermont recently right. and like I didn't have a, any rust on the thing when I was out there, obviously. Right. I moved out here now. I'm like uber sensitive to it because it looks like everything's resting through. You know, I've never been involved. Right. In well, yeah, you're in Vermont. Where they you're, sand the you're, rust. You're, you're, yeah, you're not. You're not. Deal. You're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Uh, you know, <laughs> no. and 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 at this point, and at this point, the concern becomes, you know, if you if you tell the dealer, hey, check it for rust, even if they charge you 15 minutes. You know what is it? Twenty six bucks. Yeah. Let them charge you 15 minutes for you know 15 minutes of their time. Do a frame a frame rust inspection. That means you'll have a that means you'll have a report that says rust or no rust. If six months from now the frame is rotted out, you can go back to Toyota and say, one of your professionals inspected my vehicle, it was fine. Now six months later it's rotted out. What happened? Yeah, it's on record that way. It's on record. Yeah. And you've got it documented. Yeah. Uh you know, but yeah. uh, we're just the vehicle's coming up on ten years old. You know, in, in, in four months it'll be model year twenty eighteen out for sale in September. So, you know what, it's it's just a good time to just start keeping track of things a little tighter, that's all. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Okay. Well, Thank cool. You. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're very Thanks welcome, sir. And thanks for being part of the Car Doctor family. We appreciate you. Let's get over and talk to Larry out in uh, South Florida with an 07 VW. Mm, dum, 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 dum. So, how are you, Larry? Right. How can I help? What's going I'm, on? I'm doing good. I'm trying to keep my promises here. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Which what what was that to? Uh... Well, I promised VW in the beginning of 2010 uh, that I would personally decimate the sales of their company, and it was pretty funny. But turns out it was about the diesel with their exhaust emissions that I happened to file four lawsuits against VW, one in arbitration and one against the uh, VW North America, and filed them filed a complaint about the fumes of the car making me and my family sick in the town where I bought that car in 2011. Oh, you were the guy that started this whole mess, huh? Good for you. I actually am. Oh, yeah. I was crying in December 23rd, 2009. I had gone to Utah. My son begged me to go, and it was the first time I woke up in the morning and didn't have to lay down and spend the day in bed from driving that car. Well, you know what VW stands for, don't you? I'd like to know. Would you like to know? Listen, I'll tell you. If I tell you what VW stands for, when you get to court with them, you have to use this line in front of the judge because if it makes national news, I I want the credit for the byline, okay? Okay, well, listen, how am I going to get – are you going to help me get in front of the limelight with this? Well, you are in front of the limelight, baby. You're You're on national radio right now. You know what VW stands for? What? Virtually worthless. Virtually worthless, huh? Yeah, T-H-L-E-S-S, right. So what's your question to me? What can I do for you? Well, I was hoping we could get something going with this because I did make that promise and I did mean it. And I was very, you know, not that I was happy that I was right, but it turns out that I was apodictic about that TVI. And, you know, they still say that it only started in 2009. But I read a news article about three, four months ago saying that the first ones that they outfitted with the diesel deception was one Audi 
and the Volkswagen luxury vehicle, which is the one I had, right. and they did it in 2006. Wow. Well, just to let you know what you're up against, I was just reading the article this morning in that, you know, Volkswagen's going to pay like a $4.5 billion fine, I think the article talked about. Right. Volkswagen has $33 billion, with a B, dollars in cash on the books. So right. a $4 billion fine is like a drop in the bucket to them. Oh, I know. And, you know, they offered me 20000 well, five or six years ago, and I didn't even answer them. Well, yeah, and I wouldn't. I mean, I'm no lawyer, but I, I wouldn't. I would just, you know what, if you can if you can hold on, because obviously you know what it is. You know, they're, they're all lawyered up, and this is going to drag on for years. This is not going to get settled quickly, but um, I would hang on to the car, and you know what, you make a heck of an argument that uh, – you know, there's a lot going on here. I'll tell you what, I'll leave you with this. If something changes in this story and you've got something newsworthy, I'm more than glad you give Tom Ray a call. You call us at the 24-hour number, the 855-560-9900. Well, what about newsworthy? Like my son was unconscious when he got out of that car after a trip. Well, that's pretty newsworthy to me. You uh, know, I mean, I got, I, got, I got a stack of papers three feet high on this. The, the mother of my children and I separated over it. My my oldest son, had had he didn't travel with us on the trip, so he didn't get sick. And then when he did ride in the car, we ended up at Lake Winnipesaukee, New Hampshire, 4th of July, 2007. My whole family spent the weekend in bed. Oof. Hey, Larry, I feel for you, babe. Unfortunately, I got to go. The clock's going to grab me. You get something big and newsworthy, and I'm not saying this isn't. You get some more information. You give us a call back. We'll talk about it up here on air. You'll be my Volkswagen roving reporter. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, coming back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, motoring along. Let's go over and talk to Jim in Marlboro, Connecticut. A one Chevy Blazer S10 pick-em-up truck four-wheel drive blazer kind of thing. Jim, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, Ron. How are you doing today? Good, sir. Rolling along, man. What's going on? That's good. Uh, I have this uh, 2001 Chevrolet blazer. It's the S10 blazer. Okay. It's equipped with automatic headlamps, and I'm having a headlamp problem with it. I only have low beam. I have no high beam, and the high beam indicator is lit all the time. Okay. As long as the lights are on. The high beam indicator is on, even though they're on low beam. When I switch to high beam, the indicator light is still on, but I have nothing for lamps then. It's, you know, the, there's separate bulbs on this car for low and high beam. Right, 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 right. Um, there are automatic headlamps, too. I, I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah, you did. No, that's okay. Um, if you have the ability, or if somebody has the ability, as dumb as this sounds, yeah. I, I'd scan it. I'd scan the body, the BCM for codes, just to see do I have any faults electrically wise in any of the body controls. The right. other, the other reason I would want to do that is because I'm lazy, um, which you know I like to work a little smarter, not harder. And that if I have a scan tool that's capable of it, I can bi-directional control and turn the high beams on. So do I have the ability to override the vehicle controls and just turn the high beams on? If they don't turn on, then I've got a problem somewhere in the wiring leading up to the headlamps more so than the actual devices that control it if that makes sense to you all right yeah okay the fact that you get a a high beam indicator tells me that it's probably after the high beam relay because there is a relay involved in this 
that, that feeds where, out. Where's that located, Ron? That's located, I believe, in the underhood fuse block. All right. Oh, yeah. um, you know, but there's a high and a low beam relay and a park lamp relay. They do they do this they do this vehicle with a lot of relays. They were relay happy back in the early 2000s, you yeah. know. Um, but then again, that was this was way before modules were as good as they were, and they could do all the switching with electronic components, you know. So, right. and, and that being said, this could just be a bad relay. This could be a relay that flicks on the indicator but doesn't, you know, cross the leg to send out to the headlamps themselves. Right, I see so, what you mean, yeah. Now, it now, happened all of a sudden, too, by the way. It was just, you know, it was working fine, and all of a sudden... It, poof, it, right. Now, that that being said, okay, you know, if you have, if you're under hood and you find the relay and you, you know, you match the number and it's part number one, two, three, four, five, six, and you've got the fog lamp relay, which works, the fog lights work, and it's sitting right next to it, swap them. Swap them over. You know, to give it a shot. Now, yeah, right. now, now, just on the on the weird chance, the one in a million—not one in a million, but it's it's not totally uncommon. Could I have two bad headlight bulbs, high beams? Right. I, yeah. I mean, anything's possible. Right. I, I realize that. Yeah. You know, but here's an example where, you know what? If you had a wiring diagram, and yep. a half hour, you could probably sort through this real quick and easy. So, okay. you know, just uh, just something to be aware of. Here's a case. You know, it's funny. I'll tell you the, I'll tell you a quick story. Then I'm going to go. I was talking to the, the guys over at All Data this week, and uh, we were having a conversation about wiring and information. And, you know, because they have a product called All Data DIY that you can buy a license and a subscription. It's like you could buy a subscription for this vehicle. I think it's like 35 40 bucks for the year, whatever it is. And I, and I asked them, and I said, so who typically buys it? And they said, well, that do-it-yourselfer guy that's trying to work on his own car that's frustrated and tired of not having information. And um, that's the guy. And you know what? Here you are. You're the, you're, the, you're the example of it. If you had a wiring diagram, you'd go through this in about a half hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. So Because it's a pretty simple car. So, But uh, look, at, look at those things. See what that does for you, Jim. If you need more, you know where to find me. All right. You take good care. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor is coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Mean, the Car Doctor on fire here as we roll along this hour. Mike up in Maine, you're up next at the Car Doctor hotline, 855-560-9900. How can I help, sir? Uh, Ron, thanks for taking my call. I have a 2005 Dodge Ram STL quad cab pickup, and uh, some of the lights work and some don't. For example, only one headlight works. When you hit the high beam, the light works on the driver's side. The low beam, it works on the passenger side. Three blinkers and backup lights don't work. One brake light doesn't work. Took it to the Dodge folks, and they are saying it looks like the uh, uh, power distribution center, fuse and relay center, uh, yep. may have a short circuit. Okay. They don't make a part for it anymore, so I'm in a search for a part and maybe some solutions. Isn't isn't that amazing, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, 10, 11-year-old, although, I listen, I opened the hour. I don't know if you heard the story, but I opened the hour talking about how Micro Center couldn't keep a CPU fan uh, in stock for a two-year-old computer and make that. So I was really taking my hat off to the car companies because they do a heck of a job, and I think they do. But here you are, 10, 11 years old, and you can't get a critical part for the vehicle. And that seems to be where it falls in. Eight, eight, nine years, that's it. Go buy a new vehicle. That be, right. that being said, all right, um, ask your Dodge dealer if they have access to and or utilize I don't know the website address off the top of my head, but I know there is an obsolete or cl they call it classic mm -hmm. Mopar parts where they'll keep 
new old stock inventory. All right. Yeah, they tried. They tried that, and they said they couldn't find one. They did a nationwide search. Okay. So, um, so then the next step is, and I would prefer to see something coming out of Southern California, New Mexico, Arizona, a dry state. Get out there and have them look through the salvage yards and find a wiring harness that somebody will cut out and mail to you, because that's that's about the only other solution you've got, uh, you know, to make this thing work. Unfortunately, and this is not uncommon. This is one of the biggest complaints. I hear this with Chrysler all the time from wiring harnesses and fuse blocks and power distribution centers for a lot of their vehicles. They just don't seem to keep them around like they once did. So you're going to have to search for something used online, thank God for the Internet, and go from there. Mike, I wish you a lot of luck. And if anybody out there can help us, let us know. I'm on any car doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Everyone.